local churches are God's plan for this age. We mentioned that before. The local church, somebody said it this way, and I thought, I think it's a good phrase, local church is the hope of the world in our day. For this age, the local church is God's plan. And the local church, because of that, is the hope of the world. And this was a mystery that was revealed in the New Testament, but it's, a, it's God's open secret now, but it's easy to lose sight of it and to not think as highly of God's plan as we ought to think or be encouraged about it. So this is what we want to do. I've seen this so much more clearly. I've taught through Ephesians before, but on this pass through Ephesians, it's been so powerfully clear that God intends to display his glory in the church. Lois and I have taken a couple of vacations. They, they've been to visit our kids and grandkids, and, and we've got to be gone over the Lord's Day, and, and, we, and it's in a time zone where we could get up early and we could watch you guys worship online and sing and watch Pastor Jordan preach and teach, and it's a thrill to go to those churches that where our kids are and where our grandkids are being raised and see that there are people in those churches just like you who tend to the flowers and who teach the Sunday school and who play the instruments and who faithfully preach the gospel like it's a franchise with quality control. Pastor in Texas, just a precious man, and, and when he got done, I heard him, there were folks that Spanish was their first language, and so you could hear the pastor as he was greeting people, and they were leaving, trying to speak Spanish to some children that were walking out. And, and they were doing everything they could to welcome my little grandsons who were new to the area and unfamiliar with the children's program. And they were doing everything they could to make those grandsons comfortable. They knew their names. They came and got them early. My heart went out to these good people that were doing church in a simple way, but in a faithful way, a long way from here. And then we went out to Oregon in the same way, just a good, faithful church. And, and I was singing the Iwana song to my granddaughter. She's like, how did you know that? How did you know that? And I'm like, we sing it at our church too. And uh, it was great. And then uh, so encouraging to, to know that even in humble and simple like, ways all over the world, God has his clusters of faithful people like you guys that are faithfully trying to do for others, sending the kids to camp, supporting various camps and ministries, encouraging one another, looking in on one another, praying for one another, and, and witnessing to neighbors as faithful as you can. It's just so encouraging. And and then to hear the gospel preached so faithfully and so well. You know, last week, Jordan got the, the really good text. Pastor Jordan got a really good, like it's not all good, right? Not, but it wasn't that a precious text of Scripture. When he got to the end of his message, and he did that thing where he told a story. At the, did you catch that? He told a little story at the beginning, and then he told the rest of the story at the end. And then it was about, it was really hit close to home. I love it when people do that. I was in tears in Oregon early in the morning listening to that and just thinking that's what we want to do here. Glory in the church throughout all generations. Go find somebody who hasn't heard the story yet 
Did you catch what he said? The story that he told was with a family that came in Laurel, and then they started to witness to others. A girl gets invited to church, and then her sisters are inviting the dad. Maybe they don't get the sequence quite right. People started getting saved. Dad and mom are witnessing to other people. Forty people. There was about 40 people. Jordan said, as a result of that one family coming to the Lord, eventually 40 people came to know the Lord. That's how that works. What a wonderful plan God had when he came up with the idea of the, of the church. And so I do want to encourage you today that have invested in the church, that have participated in the church, that have your hope in the church in such a dark age that you're doing a thing that God says is the, is the, the plan, God's plan for our age. When I was a kid, and we've been, I've been involved in pretty modest churches all my life, you wouldn't really think it was a world-shaking organization, you know, on, boots on the ground. You know, here's the 17 elderly ladies at prayer meeting. You know, it just... It doesn't seem like a great confluence of world leaders gathering in a summit. It's just 17 elderly ladies at prayer meeting. And yet, on the back of that, God's church moves and changes lives. And, and this is what this text is about. And that's why when, at the end of that prayer that Jordan was teaching and preaching last week, it says, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And that brings us to our text today, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Don't believe your bulletin. I made a mistake. It's not 1 through 6. You do not get off that easy today. You're serious, people. We're going to 16. And, uh, but we, 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 you know this, what, Bible students have often said that Ephesians is like sit, walk, stand. You have chapters one through three, we're seated in the heavens and our position in Christ and our riches in Christ. And then chapters four and five are a walk. Uh, and is, is then, since this is true, this is what can be expected of us. Now we're going to talk about practical applications. This is what we should do as a result of who we are. And then and some have said at the end in chapter 6, it's our warfare. And so, uh, and that's true because you have in chapter 6, you have that, that key passage in the Bible about spiritual warfare. And we, we move into that second section today, the, the very, very direct and practical section about since this stuff is true about this, how should we behave and he just really begins by, and I'll give it to you in a nutshell, then we'll read it. He begins by just saying, by all means, be united around Christ. Be united. And be devoted to being united. Easier said than done sometimes. And then, and then he, and so that there's a oneness, there's a unity. And the second chunk you're going to see, there's a, there's a variety or diversity. He said, but remember, you're all going to have different gifts. You're going to be, you're going to be united under one thing, but you're all going to be different. And, and pulling together toward that one thing. And, and the ultimate thing is that we, would, that we would come to maturity. And so these are the three things we're going to see. Watch for them as we read Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, 
the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended to the lower regions of the earth. He who descended, the lower regions, the earth, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attained the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's what we want to we do here and we want you to see and that is you have obviously here following this beautiful prayer and this introduction to the church in chapter 3 you have uh, three really practical things to apply yourself to in order to, in order to experience what I'm calling God's dream church. All of us get to be a part of it. All of us are invited into it. All of us are. All of us are actually supernaturally that know the Lord. All of us are actually supernaturally gifted to contribute to it in some way. That's what the text is going to say. And he said, and because of that, because of what was paid, because of what's going on, because of how important it is, because of the vital importance of it, we should be devoted to making sure we work together toward that and recognize at the very same time that we're all gifted in a different way and we should never stop trying to grow, keep growing. So, that, so I just said the whole message. I'm just going to fill it out and say it again in a more flowery way now. That's what it, that's what it says, I think. And there's a couple sections that are a little, a little mysterious what is that thing he ascended, he descended? We'll talk about that. That's really very beautiful. Paul calls himself a prisoner. Uh, my son and I were talking on the phone. I'll tell you a little secret. My son Charles, a pastor at First Baptist Williamson, guess what he's doing right now? Preaching, right? Guess what he's preaching? How did you know? Chuck is preaching through Ephesians, and we're going at the same pace. So he's basically writing the messages, and then I'm preaching them. Now, we each have our own message. You can actually listen. They're, they're very different, but we, we talk all, all, all week. We try to get together on Friday morning when we can, and we meet halfway. We, we have coffee real early in the morning, and we, and we just we noodle on the text. We talk together. And last night, he taught me something. Lewis was present. was on the speakerphone. He said, did you notice a, 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 a commentator I put him onto, and he spent the money and bought the commentary, he said, did you notice that he pointed out that there's a double meaning of prisoner in that first verse? I'm like, didn't notice it. I'm just thinking it means he's a prisoner, and it does. But of course, and I pointed this out before, he's a prisoner of Christ, which is kind of funny that he calls himself a, a prisoner of Christ because he's actually a prisoner of Rome, physically. But he says, no, there's a double meaning. He goes, you know, I'm a prisoner, 
But a little bit later on, he's going to refer to Jesus taking captives. He's saying, and I'm one of those captives. I'm just, he's my Lord. He captured me, and, and I'm his prisoner. Is the, the picture that he uses. That's just a little aside. But look at, the little, look at this little memory device that will help you understand what Paul is doing in Ephesians and help you see the power and, I mean, the, the big deal that you get to be involved in God's church. 110, 210, 3-10, 4-10. Remember this. It's not original with me. I, I was watching Wheaton Chapel one day, and N.T. Wright was speaking, and he used this little memory. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And so I'm borrowing it and sharing it with you, which I won't share everything that N.T. Wright said, but I will share this. Uh, 110, 210, 3-10, 4-10. Notice this. Look at Ephesians 1, 10. And you have the heart of what God is doing in the church. He's saying, it's a plan for the fullest of time to unite all things in him, all things in heaven and on earth. What is God doing? He's uniting heaven and earth. And that's what the prayer, remember Jesus said, he taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what, what happens in Revelation? You got, remember this, as we talked through that, you've got heaven and you've got earth. And at the end, you've got heaven and earth coming together. That's his plan. And his plan is to unite all things in heaven and earth through Christ. That's what Ephesians 1.10 says. Look at Ephesians 2.10. You, you might ask, how is he going to do that? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, Jesus, in our time, is uniting heaven and earth through, through it, saving us by grace through faith and in gifting and inspiring us to do good works that kind of, in a sense, bring heaven to earth. Now look at 3.10. In 3.10 it says, so that through the church, and there it's named, through the church, the various, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And now you get to 4.10, and ironically, 4.10 lands us right in the middle of that real mysterious little piece where it says he ascended and he descended. And if you're like I am, I don't want to lose you here, but if you're like I am, your brain kind of goes to the Apostles' Creed when you read that. Are you with me on this? He descended into hell, and the Apostles' Creed says he descended, and it kind of makes you think, what, he, did Jesus go to hell? And then some people, it's, it's not orthodox teaching, but they teach that he, he did part of his suffering in hell. That's not what the Bible teaches. Anyway, that's really interpreting Ephesians 4, 8 through 11 in the light of a misunderstanding of 1 Peter and a misunderstanding of the Apostles' Creed, which originally didn't say that. The Apostles' Creed, when it was originally written, said he descended into Hades. Later on, it's modified to use hell. That confused people. But that's not the issue. We're not teaching the Apostles' Creed or 1 Peter. We're teaching Ephesians. And what Ephesians is saying is he went from heaven to earth. But it's called the lower regions, the earth, and the other three places this is used in the Bible, it's all talking, it all has a connection with Christ, and it's all, always talking about going to the grave. So my point for right now, we're going to get to it a little bit later, and we'll talk about it maybe later on, but my point for right now is this. Ephesians 1.10 says, what's God doing? Uniting heaven and earth. Ephesians 2.10, how is he doing it? Through believers who are, who are doing good works. And, and what's that called? The church. That's 310. And in 410, it says, and the people, the church, the captives of Jesus, that he ascended on high and he led captives, us, that he captured in his victory, were the spoils of his victory. He gave them supernatural gifts. 
In order that, notice that it's heaven and earth would be united. Do you get it? There's this, this interesting little theme of uniting heaven and earth there. But notice these three things. I'm not, I'm not losing you, am I? Notice these three things. These are the big three hooks we're going to hang this on because I think it's very obvious in the text. And the text talk, is talking here a lot about unity, but it's also talking about a diversity or a variety within that unity. And this is important to understand. Look at verses 1 through 6. We'll just read them again, then I'll explain a little something. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then he says, with humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. You guys are sharp. You're sharp. You remember Pastor Leo taught this text just a few months ago. You should go back and watch it again. I did. You should watch it again. It's was, it was very good. Um, and he very carefully taught every word of verses 1 through 6 here. Do you remember that message? It was called, uh, I, think, I think it was called, Love is the Main Thing. That's not quite right. Love is the Problem. Who remembers that? You're supposed to remember this stuff, people. Um, Love is the main, job one. Unity is job one. Remember that? That was a message. Go back and listen to it. It's good. So I don't feel a lot of heavy, you know, uh, obligation to describe all this because you just got it described to you not too long ago. And he described these things about the humility, the gentleness, and the bearing with one another. Would, would, would it help you if I remind you that he told a story about the guy playing the bones? Remember that? A bird-like fellow, he said, that played the bones. You've got to go back and listen to it. Anyway, he taught this to us. And there's one body and one spirit. This is you are called to one hope that belongs to your one call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Using a poetic means to basically say there is one thing that unites us. Not a, I don't want to overdo this, but Lois and I figured out a long time ago we're so different. We're scary different. You know, she sleeps with a fan all through the winter. <laughs> when she's, I'm like, why would you do something like that? Or in the summer, you can't hear the crickets outside. You know, there's just different things. We, we had to discover, maybe you did too. I don't know if it's what, we had to discover, we better figure out some big things we agree on. Because we kind of see a lot of little things different. And we did. We were talking about that this week. And it's almost too sacred to talk about, but we figured out some things that we to this day so deeply agree on that we would both die for them. That's what he's saying. There's something that should unite us so powerfully that it overrides the fact that people are irritating us or hurt us. Even though that's true, there is this one thing that unites me and I'm devoted to staying in step together with others because this one thing is so big. This unity in Jesus Christ, our agreement in Christ, has to override all the other things, our petty differences, compared to we must be one in Christ. And that oneness in Christ, that, that unifying factor, should just keep working on all genuine believers to cause us to seek a oneness, to work together for the cause of Christ, for the glory in the church in our generation. And I know you're doing that, and I, I recommend it. We've been seeing grandkids. Like, you know, we say a lot. We have almost 20. We got one coming. That'll be 20, Lord willing. They're, they're some of the sweetest kids I've ever seen in my life. You just imagine that you're driving down to see your grandchild. 
and you're looking forward, and you're talking about their antics, you're talking about the way they lisp, and the songs they sing, and how very bright they are, and what a wonderful future they must have, and you're just talking about them, and you're trying to think of ways to gift them and to love them, and that's all your heart, you're thinking about that, and then you, as you drive into town, you see a plume of smoke, and then as you get closer, you realize that plume of smoke is coming from the street upon which they live. And then in horror, as you drive down the street, you realize their house is on fire. And then imagine that you get up there and you can actually see the little face of that loved one up in an upstairs bedroom pleading to be rescued. And imagine the fire department is there and they're going to argue about which ladder they're going to use. I hate, I hate to say it, but we've all probably done that very thing. The world is burning down. Loved ones that are precious to Jesus are in the fire. And we're sometimes not together. Over the big things, let's always be devoted to being united. Let's go back and say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'll set aside my hurt. I'll set aside my misunderstanding. I'll set aside my thing. For the one thing, that's the great thing, that is we agree in Jesus. And that's what Paul's appealing. The first thing he says, after all the riches, he says, by all means, be united. Devote yourself to unity. If you want a practical step, I'd say, number one, devote yourself to unity. You got invited into the church. You got invited to the fire, where, into the thing that God is doing to bless the world in this age. By all means, stay on the task, united together, be united. Number two is verses 7 through 13. There's a variety or a diversity. And I'm going to say, number one, devote yourself to unity. Number two, play your position. Have you ever played sports? I've played a little, not well. People will say, play your position. You know, like in baseball, you call off the guy. You know, if you're, you're in center and you're charging a pop fly and the short, you're in a better position than the shortstop, you call him off. I guess the shortstop can boss everybody around. But, you know, you call him off. You say, you know, go get out of your position. Play your position. And you respect their position. And this is the, not the baseball thing, but this is what Paul's going to say is don't misunderstand. Don't, don't, mis, don't confuse unity with conformity. Because God's people are all gifted in a different way. They're given gifts from God that Jesus paid for. And one, he's going to say this. So let me just read the text here. And so now it starts in verse 7. He says, grace is the gift word. Grace is given to each one of us. According to the measure of Christ's gift. It keeps saying that in Ephesians. The riches of Christ. Out of the riches of Christ, you've been given a gift. That, so that you can play the game, if you will. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And we were in the, this is a reference to the Roman triumph. This is the picture Paul likes using this. In 1 Corinthians, he does it. The Roman triumph, when somebody goes away, a military conqueror goes away and he conquers a foe and he chains him to his chariot and he drags him back through the street in triumph. And there's an aroma that goes up because they're spreading flowers in his path and they're trampling those flowers and the people would, in the Roman triumph, would smell the fragrance of that. Paul refers to that. He's referring to that here too. And, he, and he's basically saying something that's hard for us sometimes to wrap our minds around. That is, guess who's chained to the chariot? We're going, J Satan. No, you are. I am. 
He is the Lord, and we are his servants, and we're the spoils of his victory. And he's given, and he's won gifts. He's won, it's just the picture he uses. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended to the lower regions, the earth? He came to earth in the incarnation. He not to unite heaven and earth. He who descended, the one who came to earth, is the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And then he gave gifts, like he lists apostles. And these were the unique apostles, were the ones who were given a commission by Jesus. With They saw the resurrected Christ and had a personal commission. And the, the Bible says the church is built on the back of the apostles, the foundation, the church's foundation, the apostles, the apostolic doctrine that was taught, and prophets proclaimers and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. This is staggering. This little simple thing where he said, you know, go appoint elders in every city and and they had little clusters of Jesus followers and they had leaders that sacrificially decided to obey were called of God to obey and then they taught the truth, the apostolic doctrine and those little clusters spread around the world it's God's plan. And you're in one. You're part of one. It's amazing. And those gifts, it wasn't just a human convention or human invention. It was God's plan. And the supernatural thing had to happen in order to gift the people to perform God's work. And all of us have a gift that have the Holy Spirit. And all of us are expected to contribute our gift in the function of God's work. This would be teenagers and children and adults and men and women and old and young and intellectual types and common people with common, you know, gifts. It's kind of neat when you think about it. It's, it's easy, though, to think everybody should be just like you. Pastor Whiteford is with the Lord now. I worked as his pastoral associate and I couldn't get the choir going one day. They were just kind of not properly enthusiastic. I just couldn't get them to be enthusiastic. And it was kind of bugging me. So I went back to Pastor Whiteford's office, and I was going, man, you know, what's wrong with those people? And Pastor Whiteford had a way of leaning back, <laughs> back at his desk. And he leans up and he goes, Pastor Pierpont, I think when you realize that you're going to do a lot better in ministry when you realize everybody doesn't snap, crackle, and pop like you do. (laughs) I'm like, why not? And it's because nobody would get anything done. Uh, You have all cheerleaders. You know, who's going to do the hard stuff? And, and And that's probably a piece of what Paul is saying. We're united in this thing. And we, res- and, we, and we should be encouraged that each of us have a gift, a supernaturally gift from God that Jesus paid for, and we should respect one another's gifts. If you're a teacher, respect the exhorters. If you're an exhorter, you better listen to the teachers. If, you're, if, you're, uh, if you try to run a church, a, a ministry of any kind, a camp, a church, a ministry without Many people who serve, you'll fail. And you'll fail immediately. 
a bunch of talking heads walking around talking and the toilets don't work and there's no food and nobody mowed the lawn and all the campers have ticks. You know, that's not going to work. Nobody dredged the lake. We got to have a, a, you had to have a pretty lake for the kids to swim in or they don't listen in chapel to the guy that's the talking head guy. And don't ever disrespect the talking head guy for reasons that should be obvious. Says the talking head guy at camp. I get a kick out of going to camp and everybody else is just like killing it. And you're going, I'm going to be talking chapel tonight. You got lifeguards and cooks and people building things and you're talking. <laughs> it's, anyway, that's probably you can't appreciate that. Anyway, the glory of the church in all generations depends on apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Can you remember this? Did, did, did you remember me telling you this before? 12, 12, 4, 4. Did I tell you that before? 12, 12, 4, 4. 12, 12, and 4, and 4 are the places in the Bible, the New Testament, that have lists of spiritual gifts. Uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4 here, and 1 Peter 4. And if you study the list of spiritual gifts, people have done this. It's pretty interesting, different ways to look at it. But there's just a variety of, let's just say there's a variety, there are a variety of gifts. And the point that, that I guess I would leave you with is that be encouraged You've been invited into the game and you've been given the wherewithal to participate in the game. And, and, and so use your gift and, 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 and respect other people's gifts. God custom made you for the work that he's called you to. And here's what I believe. I believe even when you were just a little child, he whispered that into you. And you, and you knew there was something about, like I'm sitting around as a kid in the, in the library reading Outdoor Life and Field and Stream, not because I was going to be a killer fisherman ever, but because God was going to send me to places outdoors. He let me, he let things happen to me as a boy that were painful because I was going to help boys that were going through painful things. And what did he do with you? How has he uniquely gifted you and prepared you to do the thing that he's going to call you to do? I got a grandson who's like organizes everything. He's like got lists for everything. His sister was going to the mailbox more often than him. So he goes without being coached. He goes and he creates a chart. He puts it on the door and he goes, okay, this is a, we go, I go to the mailbox this day. You go that day. You don't go on my day. He organized, <laughs> he organized it so that his sister wouldn't go to the mailbox <laughs> more often than him. He's going to organize things in his life. I can see it coming. And then she's sitting over there at the restaurant. Sorry, it's a grandkid story, and I'll stop after this one. She's over at the restaurant, and she goes, and she's a four, a little tiny four-year-old. That You got a four-year-old? And she leans back, and she goes, imagine I'm at the beach. She had a straw that bent. And she leans back, and she goes, imagine I'm at the beach, and my chair's leaning back, and I'm sipping lemonade. I'm like, she's going to write stuff when she grows up. She's got an imagination. What, did, what about you? What was that weird, quirky thing you did when you were a kid? Like, what, is it possible that that's a hint about God's going to supernaturally supercharge that by the Holy Spirit? And then you're going to go off and do something only you really could do in that place where only you could do it? And then God's glory is going to fall right there? And that's where you're going to be involved in that? This is exciting to me. This is amazing to me. You get to be involved in that. We are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. I love that. Jeremiah, remember that? 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. Lady goes to her pastor one day, and she says, where I work is hard and dark, and people there are godless and they're profane. The pastor asked her one simple question with five words after she got done talking about her godless, profane work environment. He asked her a question with five words. Let me ask you, she said, where do you put lights? She said, in dark places. You put lights in dark places. And there's the last thing, the unity, the diversity, the maturity. Look at verses 14 through 18. So we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves, carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Robert E. Coleman, uh, in a powerful book on discipleship wrote, accept the reality of a mixed multitude and concentrate on the potential of bringing a few to maturity. Who here is going to go on to maturity? Who is willing to continue growing until they're old? That's the, that's the thing that we're given here. That's the, that's the suggestion. Let me, let me show you this in conclusion. Let me show you something here powerful in conclusion. Verses 1 through 6 is about unity. Verses 7 through 12 is about variety or diversity, gifts. Verses 13 through 16 is about maturity, unity, variety, maturity. If persons that were invited into this thing called the church would say, I'm devoted to unity, I'll exercise my gift and respect other people's gifts, and I'll never stop growing, wouldn't churches get better and better and be more and more effective? And, and if there was one word that we would give to all of this, Paul gives this one word to all of this in each of these sections, and you guessed it. What is that word? We started there today. It's love. It's just love. Loss isn't wrong. Things would go better if you just loved me like Jesus did the church. You can't argue with that kind of logic. Uh, what should I do in the church? I don't know. Find somebody to love. How do I evangelize? Not sure. Love somebody. What about irritating people? Well, I don't know. Love them. Look, look at this. What, the way of unity, the first chunk, is what? It says it. Love. We, we are bearing with one another, verse 2, in love. The way of unity is, say it out loud. It's love. Playing our position and respecting the gifts of others. Well, gifts are nothing but God's way of loving. God's love languages are spiritual gifts. How do I love somebody? Use the gift God gave you to love them. How do I love people? By trying to encourage them. That's what I do. I go around looking for people to encourage. That way I don't have to do other stuff. <laughs> and then grow and keep. Hey, Lord, can I help them? Can I encourage them and not go over there and help them move right now? That's what I I was telling Jordan, let me know when you're moving. I'll try to be out of town. <laughs> That's not good, is it? And so I said, no, really, I'll help. Um, anyway, so he said, it would really encourage me if you helped me move. No, he didn't say that. He actually sent me a text and said, we're good. Um, 
play your position and respect the gifts of others. What is that? That's God's love languages. What is, what is the way to unity? Love. What is the way of diversity? God's love languages. And what is the mark of maturity? The third thing. Oh, yeah, the Bible says that the mark of maturity is what? If a person, if that person's like Jesus, oh, it's love, isn't it? So you really could boil the whole thing down to that. When I was at Moody Bible Institute, never forget this. I wonder if you had an experience like this. It was in the fall of 1977, the missions conference in the evening. It's a beautiful night. They opened the doors on Torrey Gray Auditorium and they, pull, they opened the windows. And a bit, the Torrey Gray, the great assembly hall there is built on the plaza. Dr. Donald Bjork was a missionary that had come to speak in the missions conference. And he chose as his text this passage. It made me think of this last night. Ephesians chapter 3, glory in the church. This is the text he chose. And I, was, I had bought a new Bible. A little New American Standard Bible with a, with a flap cover. I remember I was sitting there with this Bible with, with open to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. And the pastor was getting down to the end of his message that night, and everyone was listening to his every word. He's a very capable preacher. He'd been around the world. He had experiences around the world in missions and the church. And, and, he, and he was preaching on that text Glory in the church throughout all generations. And, and we're at Moody Bible Institute, when if you walk in, there are, there's, a, there's a plaque when you walk in of the Moody students that went to be missionaries and were and the stars by the ones who died. And I get to be there. I'm a kid from Ohio. Stead pastor a little church in Ohio, and I get to be there. I'm sitting there thinking, I can't believe I get to be here. And this man is saying, speaking of my heart, he's saying, God invites you into his great work. In your generation, there will be glory in the church. And you get to be a part of that. I just sit there with my Bible in my hand and thought, is that true? Do I really get to be a part of that? And as he got to the end of the text that night, he's a very capable speaker and he's very, he, he, he paused and it was almost silent in Tory Gray, but it was the top of the hour. He'd use all the speaking time. It was the top of the hour, and the windows were open, and the bells began to toll. And you could hear him. Everybody could hear him. He didn't talk. He just listened. We all listened while the bells rang in the tower, in the plaza, outside the windows. And they said, listen, there it is. The bells are tolling now on lost humanity. There will be glory in the church. Will you be a part of going to reach them? And I would say the same thing to you today. I, I know I sometimes think about, you know, well, I watched a movie, A Man Called Peter, and in The Man Called Peter, when he takes the church, Peter Marshall takes this church and it's kind of like not doing well. And there are a lot of empty seats and an empty choir loft and there aren't many people. And then, of course, you know how movies go, and it's true in his life, they begin to just flock in, pack the big cathedral of a church. And then the choir loft was full, like a hundred people in the choir loft. And, and it was raining, and they showed people lined up to come in and hear Peter Marshall preach with umbrellas standing in the rain, waiting for him to preach. Now, this hasn't happened to me yet. They're just waiting in the rain. 
And as a young pastor, I kind of thought, wow, wouldn't that be something if you went to a church that just, you had a hundred voice choir that filled the balconies and they waited to hear you speak in the rain. Well, I don't know if that's going to happen at Bethel in my lifetime. Here's what I do know. There's a circle of needy people around the fire. And this week, you have a gift. And you can give it to them. And when you do, they'll be glory of the church in your generation. And you get to be a part of that. How sweet is that? There's a little song that Christian people have sung a long time. And we want to sing it before we go home today. And so right now, I'd like you to stand and join us. As we sing this little song, you're... You're familiar with it. And it expresses in song what we just talked about in this beautiful passage. And then Neil Vite's going to bless us on our way home today. Sing with us. <laughs>